you so much for joining us today on episode number 94 of the Real Life Runners podcast. So for years, we've heard that running hard or after a hard workout or a hard race that our immune system goes down. And this was a question posed by one of our listeners. And we are so happy to talk about how running affects your immune system in today's episode. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. I love the intro. Nice, short, and sweet and to the point. It's it's the question, that, or the statement that I've heard since high school. If you run too hard, make sure that you're real careful afterwards because you might get sick. Yeah, and so this question was posed to us by one of our tribe members, and we definitely want to talk about this today because there is not that much information about it. It was really, you know, we, we dove into the research. We started to, to do our, do some research, look at some scientific studies and literature, and we came up with some interesting conclusions. Some really interesting conclusions. I, I assumed that it was out there and it turns out this has just been a thing that people have been saying yeah. for a good solid, like 40 years. Right. It's like the whole, you know, your diet should be low in cholesterol so that you don't raise your cholesterol levels or, you know. <laughs> That's right. Eggs are poison. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know, there has been incidences in the past where people will take a little tiny conclusion out of one research study that was created and done with shoddy circumstances and somehow that becomes doctrine and that becomes just what is generally approved and accepted as truth right because if you say something enough times eventually it just gets accepted by right. the, by the, the overall community yeah that's why it's so important for us to do our research or if you don't want to do it then ask us to do it for you <laughs> <laughs> right because this was actually a pretty fascinating dive into yeah. what the heck's going on right so let's let's just kind of talk about just general exercise and the immune system right so like we've said for years the general consensus has been that the immune system is in a compromised state following a hard workout or a race. Like you hear people say that like, oh, after I ran that marathon, I got sick. Like you hear that a lot from people. Right. So there's a lot of um, like personal stories. What's the word anecdotes. I'm looking for? Yes. Anecdotal personal evidence. anecdotes or case studies. Yeah. Case studies. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot of anecdotal or like I got sick after that race. My friend ran a race and they were sick afterwards. Right. Those don't count as real studies. That's your friend getting sick after a race. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so w when we looked at the research, what do the studies actually show? And some studies have shown that intense and long bouts of exercise do lower key immune system markers in the bloodstream. So what does that mean, Kevin? Well, there's Your immune system is made up of like a whole ton of different cells inside of the body, some of which go and like attack bacteria and viruses and try right. and rip them apart. So and, there's white blood cells, there's yeah. killer T cells. Killer T cells. Right. Uh, and I mean, there's... It, through the research, there's like nine major markers that they're looking for. Right. And each little marker has a different job. The problem is that they all work together mm -hmm. and they all work in various parts of your body. Right. So you can't just go in there and find one specific marker and be like, oh, this one's decreased. That means your immune system is compromised. Right. Because the immune system is so complex and it relies on so many different things, like you say. And just because one of those markers has decreased doesn't mean that all of a sudden your immune system is compromised. Right. And there's not been a study done with that's checking like 
all of the markers mm-hmm. at the same time. Oh, really? No. They find like one at a time or maybe they track two or three or they mm-hmm. try and say like, well, if this one goes down, this one goes up. But they're doing different activities so it doesn't actually balance out the immune system. But they're still all checking these individual things. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very reductionist view of yeah. here are these nine markers. We know what these things do. So if this one goes down, your immune system must be compromised. Yeah, that, I mean, that just sounds like a faulty conclusion in and of itself. Right. And it... That's so, not really cause and effect. No, it's not really. There's a lot of uh, of correlation without causation, which is never a good study. Um, and ultimately, what you're trying to figure out is not whether you have certain markers in your bloodstream that are reduced. It's really, do you get sick more often? Right. Like, that's really what you actually want to know. Yeah. Is What is the frequency of actual sickness? Yeah. If I run this race, am I, in fact, more likely to get sick? Mm-hmm. I don't care what, you know, how many white blood cells I have or lymphocytes or I forget all the different terms inside of those things. But <laughs> I actually care, do I get a cold the next week? Right. That's what I want to know. Right. And on almost all of the studies on this, it's all a lot of survey studies where people are self-reporting the answers. Well, I mean, that is the best way to find out if people actually get sick. And it's it's not, did you get sick? It's, did you show symptoms of, and then it gave them a bunch of symptoms. Okay. Did you have a cough following the week? Did mm-hmm. you have a stuffy nose? Did you have a runny nose? And mm-hmm. all these things. And people are reporting symptoms. Okay. Well, let's not jump ahead of ourselves yeah. here. Okay. So before we jump into some of those studies, yes. let's talk about what we do know. Um pretty much for a fact, I would say. And that is the long-term effects of exercise on immunity. Now, there has been good research about the long-term effects of exercise on immunity. So there is fairly solid research to suggest that moderate activity, moderate exercise, is better than a sedentary lifestyle when it comes to your immune system. Now, we all know there are lots and lots and lots of benefits of moderate exercise in a whole host of different systems in the body. Yeah. So specifically... Just about every system is improved with moderate levels of exercise. If you exercise, you're going to be a healthier person. But how specifically does this affect the immune system? So there is a concept called the the J-curve of intensity and immunity. Now, basically what this means, like if you put it on a graph... It's, it's talking about the relationship of the amount of exercise you do and the amount – is it the amount of times you get sick? Like what's on the other axis? Uh, the the, the yeah, strength the, of the immune system? No, the system? amount of times that you get sick would be on the other axis. Okay. So basically what it will show is it's, it's a J-shaped curve, meaning – if you don't do any exercise, don't do any activity, you are more prone to get sick. Right. Then... It's kind of how it, the, the J sort of loops up a little bit towards the left. That's, right. As your activity is absolutely nothing, your instance of, of sickness rises. Right. And then if you increase your exercise level to a, a moderate level, then the incidence of sickness goes down. So that would, you know, then indicate that you have a stronger immune system you have less incidences of getting sick right with substantially less actually substantially yeah and then they there are people that suggest with vigorous exercise as your exercise continues to go 
above the moderate level, then you go back up to an increased risk of getting sick right. more frequently. Right, but there's not a study that's done all of this simultaneously. Okay. There's multiple studies that try and put this together, and the J-curve is really a hypothesis. Okay. There's been a study of sedentary versus moderate exercise, and then there's been some case studies, some anecdotes based off of like the sickness levels of people training at very high levels. Mm-hmm. And those people have shown every once in a while, like following marathons, following ultra marathons, uh, an increased level of sickness relative to the normal population. Okay. So they've got from sedentary to moderate is definitely a dip. And then people training extreme also is above the normal population. So that's up. Mm -hmm. And so they concluded that there must be this sort of J-shaped curve where moderate is really the strongest immune system because you're getting sick the least. Okay. So that's... Basically, what is most people accept in this realm, like of yep. fitness and immunity? Yeah, people basically accept this J curve to be true. Yes, but what we're going to do is we are going to bring some question marks to this because it's simply it's just not that simple. No, it's simply not that simple. You know, <laughs> Did you go British on us there. Yeah, because why not? Perfect. So. Nearly all studies, like, so that now we're going to get back to where you were talking, right? Okay. So nearly all studies um, that people, that are done on people to measure how often they get sick following an intense bout of exercise, like a marathon, ultra marathon, these kind of things, are based on self-reported symptoms of upper respiratory tract infections, not clinically diagnosed respiratory tract infections, right? So these people aren't going to their doctors and they're not being tested for, you you know, the respiratory infections. Like they're just saying, like you said, like what are some of the symptoms? Like They're literally checking to see whether you have like a cough and a runny nose. Right. So does that mean that you're immune? If, if you have a cough and a runny nose after a race or a really hard workout, does that mean your immune system is declined for some reason? I mean, you and I were talking about this yesterday and you're like, Angie, like after you race or after you do a really hard workout, like, do you ever cough? And I'm like, well, yeah, sometimes I do. And I'm like, because I feel like when you start breathing hard and you're using your lung capacity to its fullest, you're kind of clearing stuff out. You, you also are essentially aggravating your lungs. So they're trying to, yeah. to recover right. because you've, like, you've strained your lungs. They're trying to get themselves back to most optimum form. There's some coughing involved. I know if I race hard, I'm generally coughing into the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Like it's just what happens. I don't feel sick at all. I just mm-hmm. have this cough that follows when I push really, really hard in the morning in a race. Right. So if you have a cough and you feel really run down after <laughs> your race because you just ran really hard. I'm not sick. I'm tired. Right. But that's, you know, some people would, would take that survey and say, oh yeah, you know, I did. I noticed that I did have a cough that my chest did feel a little heavy. I that, felt signs of fatigue. Yeah, I felt <laughs> I felt some fatigue after I ran an ultra marathon. I mean, they're literally <laughs> a fifty k. Like they're they're sending the survey to people that ran the Comrades Marathon in how long is South that Af- one? It's, it's is that ninety 100? miles. Ninety miles. But it's it's across the desert. Yeah. So no, that's a tough one. It's arguably one of like the hardest races in the world. Right. And they're checking them and you know one of the checkboxes was did you feel fatigued following the race? Yeah. Um the question yes. <laughs> The question is too that I would be curious about is how soon after the race did they actually give these athletes the survey? 
Yeah, I I can't I didn't get an answer you on know? that one for you. Yeah. As they cross the finish line. How are you feeling? Feeling fatigued? <laughs> I would like to die. <laughs> Do you think they you may, might be sick? <laughs> they may have a compromised immune system. No, they're tired. They're tired. Like, that's how that works. They push themselves really hard. So there has um, has been research that also suggests that the more fit an athlete is, the less reduction in immunity that they have with an increase in exercise intensity. So therefore, if you are more fit, you you can work out harder and there will be less of a reduction in your immunity. Right. So it takes the J-curve and instead of as your, your exercise intensity increases, instead of spiking up and having like this massive increase in in, risk of, in risk of sickness. getting sickness, mm-hmm. it just doesn't spike that much. Right. It essentially goes from sedentary, kind of dips to moderate, and then may slightly rise or not even as you continue exercising. Yeah. As you get more and more fit, it reduces the, the spike on the other side. Yeah. You can still take yourself to super extreme levels, and that may or may not. It's, it's still honestly inconclusive at this point because yeah. there just have not been the level of studies done of if you put yourself to really extreme extreme levels, are you actually reducing your immune system? Yeah, we don't know that yet. But some other interesting studies have shown that in older populations... Substantially older. Like the studies were like 70 to 90-year-olds. Okay. Those who were the most active also showed the lowest incidence of upper respiratory infections. Yes. So you took this group of, of elderly population, 70 to 90. I think the average age was like like 86, too. Like 86? It, yeah. Like some of the studies... How big was the cohort? I the, mean, like, it was probably like 12 people. Yeah. This is the other <laughs> thing is so many of these studies were like, in this group of 20 people, right. in this group of eight individuals, yeah. like, this is not like, even you like You can't a legit, generalize that. Right. So they're trying to follow these these along, and they essentially were able to categorize people of um, the population who was remarkably sedentary, mm-hmm. the population who exercised at a moderate level, and then this sort of like senior population who just looked substantially lean and fit, who were going out and doing physical activity to, for one to two hours a day and just had a naturally lean body structure. Okay. Those people were... The numbers were absurd. It was like 75% less sicknesses over the course of a year. Like it was like so much less sick compared to the sedentary population. Mm -hmm. What they found is if you took people from the sedentary group and you put them through just an eight week, very moderate to low intensity exercise program, but that had to be like cardio based, Mm -hmm. like they would go out and go for walks. Mm Mm-hmm. 45 to 60 minutes daily. Yeah, low intensity. Very low intensity. You could reduce their chances of getting sick by like half. Wow. Over like 8 to 15 weeks there, you could get them substantially healthier than Mm -hmm. the sedentary population, but you still couldn't touch the people who had just lived this healthy lifestyle for the last 40 years. And by you couldn't touch them, you meant that they're still at a much less risk of getting sick than even these people that just started exercising. Right. The yeah. people who rolled into old age already fit. Because they built their immune system throughout their whole right. life. They'd been crushing it for the last 60 years. Yeah. I mean, there's a such thing as muscle memory, yes. right? Like when you are fit and active and you build muscle, like your body has muscle memory, it's going to be easier for you to get in shape down the road if you used to be in shape versus someone that just 
started on day one trying to get in shape. Right. But there's also immune system memory. Right. Once you get a little bit affected by something, you're more likely to be able to fend that off again in the future. Exactly. That's kind of how vaccines work, right? That's exactly how vaccines work. Right. When you're exposed to something at a low level and your body you know, has fought that bug off before, then yes, your body is more effective at fighting that bug off in the future. This is why, in theory, older populations should be better at fighting off whatever the virus or bacteria is mm-hmm. than kids. Right. Kids get sick because they're, they're when they're exposed to something, it's usually something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and that's like, why they say, you know, kids will get sick whenever they start school, whether that's at the age of two, you know, or six months old when they're starting daycare, or if it's when they're five and they're in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Like, anytime a kid starts school and is put into a large group of other children, they're going to get sick. And that's part of building the immune system. And then they typically get sick less often as they get older because their immune system keeps building and building and keeps getting stronger and stronger. Right. As you keep getting every, every grade, you keep getting exposed to more and more people and Mm -hmm. you get to a point where you're just like, okay, I can deal with people. It's when Mm. you get uh, new people that roll into the class that move from out of state. They're bringing out of state bugs to you. Yeah. You're going to get sick because you're exposed to new things that you probably haven't been exposed to. Mm -hmm. When you travel, you get exposed to new things you haven't been exposed to. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, you know, it's funny. That just popped a question into my head thinking about it. And, you know, because I thought, you know, kids in general are much more active than I would say the adult population as a whole, right? Because kids just naturally run and jump and play. Like they don't really know how to walk anywhere when no. they're certain ages, you know, no, like they're always don't. just running, right? Cause you just walk. Yeah. Like kids are no. always, I would say, you know, as a whole kids are more active. So I'm curious if, you know, I, I think I'm sure that this research hasn't yet been done, but just about guaranteed that it has not been done as the population, as the ch- child population gets more sedentary because we're taking away recess oh. and PE in school. Right. So the kids are less active in school because they're being forced to just do more classroom type of work. And then when they come home, they're sitting and playing video games and they're less active in general. Or they're doing more afterwards. and more homework because they're having to get through more classes because mm-hmm. there's this rush to get into like collegiate level classes by the time they're 12 right so as the kid population becomes more sedentary we've already seen a major increase in childhood obesity especially in the united states which is just so sad to me but i'm curious if kids in general are also getting sicker than say 50 years ago They've got to be because in general, if you take kids and compare them to their parents, kids are something like twice as likely to get sick Mm -hmm. compared to a population like one generation up from them. Yeah. So like small kids versus their parents, kids are going to get sick all the time. Their kids are not going to get sick. Their parents are not going to get sick every time the kid gets sick. Mm -hmm. On average, they're going to get sick every other time the kid gets sick Mm because they've probably been exposed to this thing so they can fight it off. But if you take the the kids and you make them sedentary, then you're just ramping up their their, uh, likelihood of getting sick even more. Mm Because that side of the J-curve has been pretty decently proven. Right. It's the other side that kind of has more question marks attached to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's right. a terrible, terrible suggestion. You yeah, put I know. It makes it's me really sad. really sad. I know. So let's, let's hopefully we can so go out help, and exercise. To, help to change that. Well, and that's part of the whole reason we started this podcast is to help inspire people to make these changes now while they're younger and they can, you know, help their kids be more active because it will help them in so many areas of their life and help them, 
get more active as well so that they can prevent chronic disease in the later years of their life. And that was one of my primary points for like starting this whole thing. I mean, that's also, it's one of the big things behind coaching cross country. It's yeah. why I don't like cutting anybody off the cross country team. Right. Because it's a no cut sport. You want to, we want to make lifelong runners. Right. That's the goal is to get people who simply want to be active. And mm-hmm. if you can start with this sort of running habit while you're in high school, that is likely to continue. Yeah. Maybe it slips a little bit while right. you head off to college. But if running was a thing you did in, in high school, it's a, there's a shot. You're going to come back into it in your 20s. Yeah. All right. So let's now talk about the new theory and research that's been coming out in the last five to 10 years about immune system and exercise. All right. So this was brilliant. This was not the first study that I found. I found stuff that was, you know, supporting the J curve and saying, look, these markers are decreased. These ones are increased. This part's inconclusive. I'm looking at studies that are dicey. It's a new one. It still needs to be followed up with more supporting studies, larger studies. Right. But it's suggesting that some of these markers in the bloodstream that we're actually tracking and, oh, this one is significantly reduced, you have to time it out. So during extreme exercise, these markers that fall off a cliff in the like one to six hours after exercise actually spike during exercise. Hmm. which is a weird thing because you think, okay, well, I'm working really hard. Shouldn't that compromise my immune system? And it's the opposite. Those markers are actually spiking in the bloodstream. And then right after you finish, they plummet. And they found that it's not that they're disappearing. It's not that they're lost. It's not that they're being used and going away. It's that they're moving to different parts of your body. Interesting. Uh, Now, quick question. When did they measure the baseline? So like to, to measure whether or not they're spiking during exercise or that they're dropping one to six hours after exercise. When you're, they're I, measuring for hours before and hours after. Okay. And then they're putting them through all sorts of different exercises mm-hmm. between different intensities and different um, like lengths. Okay. So a lot of the studies do, um, if, it's, if they're trying to do like an actual controlled study, they do simulated marathons, okay. which sounds brutal and kind of fun at the same time because I'm weird that way. <laughs> but they're putting them on a treadmill and having them run at like a set pace compared to their VO2 max for two hours and 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah, on a treadmill. So are these done all on elite athletes? No, but they're just looking at that. They want to hit somewhere around the two and a half to three hour time range of exercise. Okay. Whatever that constitutes right so the person has to be in good enough shape to be able to sustain that amount of exercise yes so they're already i would say in the top 90 percent of the population probably higher probably higher yeah because there are people who are actually like that's the thing is most of these studies being done but they're also taking some other people and saying okay what if we just ramp up the intensity and do it over a shorter time interval Mm -hmm. because the j curve suggests that whether it's for longer bouts of exercise something over 75 minutes or higher intensities something over like like 90 percent of your maximum heart rate Mm -hmm. or something to that effect Mm -hmm. Either of them are going to reduce your immune system. Okay. And the new study is suggesting that that's just not how it plays out. Interesting. So, in fact, these levels of these immunity marker levels are not actually falling per se, they're just migrating. And so, 
when they're measuring the same place as they were before, they're not there because they've moved into other areas of the body where they're needed more. Right. So instead of just checking the bloodstream and saying, oh, this, this, the level of whatever marker it was in the bloodstream, they were able to actually like uh, mark the markers. Like uh, it's not radioactively, but they were able to actually follow the markers. It was an animal study. So that's why this one has to get followed up on human things. Yeah. But they were able to actually like literally follow and track where these things were. Hmm. And they went from being generally in the bloodstream and they all headed towards the lungs. That is so interesting. Like, and how do they even figure out how to do that? I have (laughs) no idea. (laughs) Scientists are amazing. But it sounds remarkably cool. So there were three issues and there were various studies that all got to this. One, after six hours, you shouldn't be able, like the levels were coming back towards normal. Okay. And you shouldn't be able to rebuild all of these markers over six hours. Mm -hmm. If you went towards essentially depletion, you should not, you cannot get them all back over that short amount of period of time. Okay. So they said that started making them think of, wait, that means we're not recreating all of them. They just have to be going somewhere and then returning to the bloodstream. Hmm. So then they start trying to figure out where they're, where would they go? Yeah. Well, if you're going to get sick, you're probably going to get something in your upper respiratory tract. Mm-hmm. So then they were like, well, let's check and see if we can get like, you know, samples from the lungs. Are we getting increased of these markers in the lungs? And that's what led them to, wow, we're actually watching these different markers move to where they're probably going to be needed. Hmm. It's essentially like the person exercises, their body says, ooh, we might have to fight off an infection in the lungs. Let's send the army. And everybody heads that direction. The body's amazing. The body is amazing. So amazing. (laughs) That's so cool. All right. So, in fact, these studies that have shown, quote unquote, reduced immunity following exercise might just not be measuring the right thing or tracking the right thing properly. Right. It's, I mean, it's one of the things we said right at the beginning is the immune system is really, really complicated. Mm -hmm. And does it matter if X, Y, and Z are reduced in the bloodstream Mm -hmm. if you're not getting sick? Yeah. I don't need to know my levels. I need to know whether or not I'm getting sick. Yeah. If my body is you know, essentially raising its immune system. It says, hey, here's a bout of intense exercise. Sound the alarms and fire off the immune system to where we think it's most likely to need to put up shields. Mm. And it does so. So Mm. instead, like the scientists are preliminary concluding. You know, it's clearly stated we need to do a lot more studies on this, a lot more research. But the preliminary conclusion is that even a bout of short, vigorous exercise is not reducing the immune system. It's actually increasing the immune system in the few hours following your exercise. Cool. You're not less, you're not more likely to get sick in those few hours. You're actually less likely to get sick in those few hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then let's then talk about what about these people that report that they do get sick after a race. Perfect. Oh, great transition. The anecdotal evidence. Wait, but my friend ran a marathon and then they got the flu. Right. They clearly got the flu because of the marathon. Mm -hmm. Possible. It is possible. We don't know. But could there be other causes? So a lot of people that run marathons and ultra marathons, I mean, some of them might be lucky enough to have a really cool marathon in their backyard. And other people, I would say a lot of other people, travel 
to do these marathons and it, ultra marathons, especially ultras. Especially ultras. But um, traveling for a marathon actually mm-hmm. increased last year. That was a thing that I, I was reading a few weeks ago. Okay. Is they had like a massive survey on what does it mean to be a runner in 2018? Mm-hmm. You know, it was like and the answer the big, was traveling to races. There was an increase in traveling to races. There was actually a decrease in participants in races across the board, which is the first time that's happened in like a decade. Mm-hmm. It was a tiny decrease, but it was a slight decrease. But the people who were running marathons were more likely to travel to marathons mm-hmm. in 2018 than they were to 2017. Okay. Like, People are all about the big experience. Right. That they would like find a cool destination race and travel to get there. Right. Well, really long travel on a plane has been shown to decrease immune <laughs> and increase your chances of getting sick. Right. So, did the race get you sick or did the flight there and back get you sick? Or if you're traveling to a race, are you on your normal schedule? Are you sleeping as much? Or are you traveling at kind of weird hours of the day? Right. Because so, if you jump over several time zones, your mm-hmm. sleep schedule is automatically thrown off. Right. And that me- makes you at much more... Jet lag in- has been shown to increase your chance of getting sick. Right. Right. So if you're on a plane for eight hours and traveling multiple time zones, that's that's two strikes against you for your, your chances of getting sick. So a, redu- and a reduction in sleep just in general. Like anytime I think you travel, a lot of times people reduce the amount of sleep at least during the travel portion of the vacation. I think a lot of people do get more sleep typically on vacation, but while they're traveling, they might get more. Maybe you have to wake up at, you know, 3 a.m. to catch your 6 a.m. flight. Mm-hmm. And then you like, oh, I'll, I'll fall asleep on the plane. And there's a toddler there that does not, Decided they're not, does take not have the, the snack that they need, you know. So reduced sleep also has been proven to increase your likelihood of getting sick. All right. So even if that race is in your backyard, mm-hmm. who's got that marathon that starts at nine o'clock in the morning? <laughs> the marathon starts at like the crack of dawn. Right. You've got to get there an hour and a half beforehand mm-hmm. to get into your corral. Right. Are especially you if you're to going getting... to one of these big races. Yeah. And are you used to getting up that early? Right. And there are certainly races that you have to get up at like three 30 in the morning mm-hmm. to get there and get your bib and check yeah, in. Yeah. Some and, of like... my friends that run Disney have to get up at like two yeah. or two 30. Like there's no way that that is your normal sleep schedule and so changing your normal sleep schedule reduce sleep that makes it more likely that you're going to get sick so was it the marathon's fault or was it the change in sleep Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of studies that are trying to be able to actually reduce all these things but if you think about everything that surrounds these big races Mm -hmm. there's a lot of factors that all are big giant strikes against the immune system Mm -hmm. or is what else it, you got? Is it the fact that maybe now you're around thousands and thousands of people? Like you're going to a race expo and maybe you're like picking up some of the, the objects on the table to check them out. How many other people have touched that object? Yeah. You know, then you're in a race and you're surrounded by a couple hundred other people. And then you have to use a porta potty. Oh, That's disgusting. Oh, the potties. So I mean, shoot, just before the race, how many people around you before a marathon starts are spitting? <laughs> That's disgusting. Like, hey, here's my germs. Let me just spray them all over the seven people around me. And it's gross. 
that that is probably going mm-hmm. to increase your chance of getting sick. Okay. Like runners spit and we're gross. Mm-hmm. But but it happens. I'm a spitter. And okay, so not you, not in the corral though. I mean, I spit like when I'm running. Yeah, when you're running, but it, but oh. I always make sure I spit like behind me and not near anyone. Yes, but the in the corral spitters like oh come go, on, that's just, go find some grass and spit that's over not there. Okay, it's gross. That's not okay. The, don't do that. <laughs> if you, don't don't be a corral spitter, please, listeners. Especially if you're wearing a real life runner's shirt. <laughs> yeah, or or if you are, I've got the trick on this one. Oh yeah, you kneel over like you're tying your shoes and then spit because you're already at ground level. Why can't you just swallow it? Because you gotta spit when you're in the corral. Mm-hmm. Okay. You get your strides. You're going. It's early in the morning. You gotta spit. All right. Or or what else you got? When you have a big race. Do you normally feel very calm and cool and collected? Absurdly calm and cool, totally zen-like. <laughs> or do you sometimes have some increased nervousness around the race and that those nerves, that anxiety, all of that, the adrenaline, increase in dr- adrenaline, those are stress hormones that your body's producing. And Cortisol, is that in there? Cortisol is a stress hormone, but yes, I mean, that, that is produced as well. I was just trying to just name something, honestly. That's all I was to, going just for. just trying to sound smart and scientific. All I was I going for. I know the name of a stress hormone. Ooh, what about cortisol? <laughs> Ooh, call on me. Call on me. <laughs> so you have increased stress and anxiety surrounding these big races, which increases the stress hormones in your body, which then can decrease your immune system response and increase your likelihood of getting sick. Right. There was a study done, I think it was the LA marathon that they did it on, that they were checking, they followed um, a bunch of people training for the race and not everybody was able to make it to the starting line for one reason or another, injuries or whatever, something came up and the people who ran the race had higher chance of uh, higher likelihood of illness after the race in the like one to three weeks following the race than the people who trained but didn't run it. Interesting. What they wiped out all of these things. They wiped out surrounded by people. They wiped out possibility of travel. They wiped out the actual stress connected to the race itself. Mm-hmm. They just wiped all these things out. When they're trying to do clinical studies and they do simulated marathons, no one's worried about their time in a simulated marathon on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. Your time is two hours and 45 minutes because that's how long they told you you were going to run for. Mm-hmm. And you don't even care how far it was. They just wanted you to exercise at this rate for two hundred two hours and 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So there's no stress connected to that. Yeah. It's you strapped on a treadmill with like the scientists standing on the other side of a glass wall. Mm-hmm. So you're not surrounded by all these people. You're not stressed out by the idea of running for two hours and 45 minutes? No, I'm totally... Calm and cool Calm with that and one. Zen. I feel like I'm in the lotus position and just <laughs> floating above the treadmill. That's how you look too. So smooth. <laughs> just gliding cruising, along. Cruising along. Um, so okay. So basically, there has really there's there has not been good research to prove that vigorous exercise actually decreases your immune system. Yes. That's it's, that's it's the really conclusion. that's the big conclusion. Yeah, it's basically, we don't know. Like, there is a lot of good research showing that. I guess I shouldn't say a lot of good research, but no, there is. There's not. There's there some. is solid research showing that moderate exercise does improve your immune system long term. Yes, very long term. Okay, so regular moderate exercise is good for you. Pushing it to an extreme. 
may or may not be bad for you. Right. There have been studies, there have been like a lot of uh, correlation studies where they follow marathons and some people seem to get more sick after the marathon. Some people had nothing after the marathon Mm -hmm. and there have been, you know, the studies were as good one to the other. So there have been some signs that say that nothing happens. There are signs that say that you do get more sick. It It's kind of still up for debate. Okay. So let's talk about something else, a couple other things that we know help your immune system. So yes, what because if, we don't pretend you get more sick yeah. when you run really hard. Because we don't know what vigorous exercise does to you, if it actually does reduce your immunity, why don't we try to combat that with some of the things that we know actually will help to improve your immunity. So you're kind of trying to build up your immune system as like a buffer before these bouts of vigorous intensity. Right. If you're going into battle, you're going to put some shield. For sure. And so the number one thing that has been proven to improve your immune system is sleep. Yes. Yeah, that's up So make sure that you are getting enough sleep. If you have a big race or vigorous activity coming up, make sure that you are not sleep deprived. Make sure you are getting enough sleep. Your body needs sleep to regenerate all of its body functions and processes. So make sure that you're like when you tow that line, your body is rested and recovered. Yeah, this was not part of the recent research I've done, but I definitely remember... I know, I totally just threw it in there. No, but I remember <laughs> reading something about this, I don't know, a couple years ago, that there was a decent study that suggested that the best way to prep if you are running a race out of town is to start sleeping as though you're on that time zone. Oh, that's interesting. So that, like, oh, are you going to have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning? You want to gradually adjust your body so that How when you have to advance? get... It's like a couple of weeks. Like you have to start pretty early on this hmm, thing. So not just like carbo loading and tapering. Yeah, sure. Those are great. But actually trying to adjust your sleep schedule to race day sleep schedule is better yeah. than carbo loading or, um, what was the other one? Or tapering. Okay. Tapering, uh, we could have a whole another episode yeah, We're not on talking that. about tapering today. But, you know, that makes a very good point that if you are traveling to a race, especially if it's far multiple time zones away, you really should try to go early, like go a few days or a week before the race to let your body acclimate to the time change. Yes. I think that will put you in in a better spot on race day. Yes, definitely. So here in the world of real life runners, just take the three weeks before your major marathon (laughs) off and go on a vacation and hang out in the other environment so that you can appropriately adjust to both the heat and the time zone and the altitude. Yeah. I mean, I say that, but you know, last year we flew out to California and we flew out Saturday morning. We got up at like three or four o'clock in the morning so that we could catch a 6 a.m. flight, landed in San Francisco. I drove straight straight to Napa started drinking wine started drinking wine which reduces the immune system and then woke up and ran the half marathon on Sunday morning and, and I felt great and darn near PR'd I, I I could have if I wanted to but I just decided to enjoy the experience yes yeah but and you got caught by a train but I, that's what I'm saying like I felt great along the way like I could have PR'd that day 
which is so funny maybe because... maybe if it's done soon enough then your body hasn't had time to realize what's happening to <laughs> it <laughs> you were also tricked ya. one of the things that you were not dealing with there was stress exactly you did not have the stress and that's a huge marker yeah. for your likelihood to get sick is how did you feel going into it yeah if you were even slightly sick beforehand you're probably going to get sick after if you were very nervous beforehand mm-hmm. you're likely to get sick afterwards yeah true no that's very true I had I had no nerves going into that because I was going into that race purely for enjoyment and the experience of it all so okay so besides sleep one other thing that has been proven to help immune system function is nutrition eating very nutritionally dense foods that are rich in micronutrients like vitamins and minerals yeah, I mean, that's just a great way to boost your immune system, period. Right. Like, you should just always eat good food. Exactly. Especially period. leading up to a race. The end. A yeah. Especially every day of your life. Right. <laughs> yeah. But so there are some studies that have shown specific vitamins and minerals to help with immune system function. So one of the big ones is vitamin C. Everybody thinks about vitamin C. Oh, uh-oh, I, I think I'm getting sick. I better take some vitamin C. Right? Yes. Is it like all the time. Your sister's big on this one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got the sniffles. Why don't I drink a bottle of vitamin well, C? Well, so is your mom. Like she oh, has that my, huge yes. bottle of vitamin C on <laughs> yeah, her My mom is table. huge on this one. Wait, you, you sound slightly nasal. Take these seven vitamin C pills. <laughs> <laughs> what are you kidding? That's that's like eating fifteen oranges. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> but taking a normal level of vitamin C, like a standard vitamin C supplement, in the two weeks leading up to a race. This study was actually done again on the Comrades Ultra. Okay, they did um, vitamin C versus a placebo. And the vitamin C like reduced the chance of getting sick afterwards. I, w- I it was over fifty percent reduction. That's pretty big. Which is substantial. Mm-hmm. Was this also a self-reported thing? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. totally self-reported. But it was uh, at least a double-blind placebo. Yeah. So that helps it slightly on the uh, yeah. Like yes, it's all self-reported, but so were the people on the placebo and they were getting less symptoms coming out of the group who was actually taking the vitamin C. Mm-hmm. And then they tried vitamin C with other things and they found mm-hmm. that vitamin C alone was sufficient. Yeah. Now we don't have a specific study for this one, but you know, eating fruits and vegetables that are high in vitamins and minerals, especially like leafy, dark leafy greens are just really, really good for you. Like trying to load up on that stuff. Like Kevin said, during your whole life (laughs) but especially when you're training like when your body is training you are breaking your body down and so your body needs these micronutrients to build itself up better and stronger including you know and the macronutrients of protein carbohydrates those and fats like you need those for your body to recover you also need the mic the micronutrients the vitamins and the minerals to help your body recover as well yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. You you run a marathon or a half marathon or something, and there's treats at the finish line. You don't have to run away from the treat table. No. Do you want to get a beer at the finish line? Cool. Yeah. It's honestly not my thing. I tried it one time. I had like a sip out of it. It was like, this is disgusting. Yeah. I need water. You know, it's funny because when I have a beer after... Um, I like the taste of it most of the time, like afterwards, like it's cause it's cold, Cause you know, it's, cold. it's nice and cold. And, but I always end up getting like a headache, like an hour, like, like a half an hour to an hour later. Because you're already dehydrated. Right. You just ran a race. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so that's my let's issue. Throw alcohol like, at oh, it. this tastes good. And then an hour later I'm like, oh man. 
Right. So, I mean, if you actually think ahead of time, what would be the best thing to follow up a race with? It's probably not all of the sugary treats they have mm-hmm. and a beer. That's probably oh, not the best. The bananas are lovely. And but oranges. Sure. Yeah. But they also are passing out, like, you know, all the processed granola bars and, right. and beers. Yeah, depending it's on where just, you are. Yeah. So, if you actually thought about it and be like, actually, what I really want to do is go over to that restaurant and mm-hmm. get some really delicious food, mm-hmm. like real food and plenty of water, that would probably be a better a better plan there you go but you know right. also enjoy your treat i like a donut after a big race yeah and you, you do your I, your apple fritter i do i do like a donut yeah all right so increasing your vitamin c levels a couple weeks before the race has been shown to decrease the incidence of getting sick afterwards yes also you found a study about maintaining steady glucose levels during exercise yes tell if, us about that one well, this one's good um <laughs> so if you maintain your your glucose levels so again this one was like people who were drinking water there was the placebo like pretend sugar water and then there was actually like sugar water so it was just like water with like food coloring in it yeah totally that you, thought was. That you think is actually the the you know the drink that you're going for um but how could it be a placebo? i mean you're still going to taste the difference i have no idea how they pull off the placebo but there was a placebo on this one and um maintaining the glucose level showed that it was actually um that you had less reduction in your immune system over the over the course of Mm -hmm. you know long races Mm -hmm. i can't remember how long that thing was this wasn't simulated marathons it was like an hour of running or something like that the catch is is that the study was done by gatorade and showed that using Gatorade had benefits for you. What? I know. It's weird that Gatorade published a study that showed that Gatorade is good for you. But that, that was the study. <laughs> and and I couldn't find anything else out there to support it. Mm-hmm. But, Gatorade, but there's that one. Gatorade lets you know that Gatorade is good for you. Well, and, and that's so important to note. So when you are reading these articles or, you know, research studies, I'm going to put air quotes on that one. <laughs> you know, these quote unquote research studies, make sure you know who is sponsoring that article or that research. I mean, even the ones that are coming out of like really good places, they could still be sponsored by Mm -hmm. somebody like somebody's funding that research. Like Gatorade does a lot of research. They have the Gatorade exercise Institute. There's some quality stuff coming out of there, but it's still all sponsored and funded by Gatorade. So Mm -hmm. I bet most of the conclusions suggest that Gatorade's good for you. Yeah. The question is how much of what they publish actually shows any sort of negative effect. Right. They're not going to, they're probably not going to publish those. Mm-hmm. The question is how many studies are going unpublished. Yeah. That's, I think the, the biggest one. Right. right. Um, so you've got that one. Okay. And then and the then, third one, mm-hmm. this one I found really interesting. It showed that um, taking probiotics before or after exercise had no effect on mm-hmm. the immune system. Yeah. Which I thought was really strange. Well, I, you know, when you told me this, I, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I had a lot of questions pop up. And I was like, well, what kind of probiotics did they take? Are they taking the ones that are refrigerated? Are they taking, you know, are they taking a supplemental form of probiotics? Are they eating live probiotics in like yogurt or kefir? And this is why I told you, because then you came up with all of the ways to rip the studies apart. Mm -hmm. And they were giving them like uh, one specific strain of probiotic. And it was probably in a capsule. It was in a capsule so so that they could monitor the dead right so that that way they could monitor the exact amount so it was in a capsule but like you said in all likelihood the probiotic was dead and not doing anything for them in the first place right because probiotics by definition are live and active
active cultures. So they are live bacteria. So if you take them and they're dead, they're not going to do anything for you. Right. So let's have a study where people eat some yogurt afterwards and yeah. see if that helps some things. Yeah, I think... Because post-race yogurt sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Once I've had some well, water. I mean, post-race, you know, people... Chocolate milk is like one of the new big things, yeah. thanks to the dairy industry. It's not even new. It's been around for like Well, not a new. I shouldn't say new. Longer than a decade, for but, sure. I mean, that was like... It, it wasn't just like the the thing that you should recover with. It was like the magic thing you that should recover brilliant, with. brilliant marketing on the dairy industry. Chocolate part. milk will save everything. Right, right. It was fine marketing. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what we found. So hopefully that was very helpful for you. I thought that this was a super interesting topic. So thank you, Katie, for your question. We appreciate that. And if you guys have questions that you don't feel like researching and want us to do the the work for you um, and possibly use for a future episode, please send us an email. Um, You can find us at Angie at realliferunners.com or Kevin at realliferunners.com. Send us your comments or questions and let us know if you found this episode helpful. So basically, as long as you are taking care of your body in most ways, like getting enough sleep, eating enough nutrient-dense foods, staying hydrated, you really don't have too much to worry about when it comes to like a vigorous bout of exercise, I I would say. Yes, that is the big, that's the most likely conclusion that we're drawing out of this thing. All right, cool. So as always, we want to thank you guys so much for spending this time with us. If, whether you're driving in the car, whether or not you're, you're out on your long run, wherever you're choosing to spend your time with us, we thank you sincerely. We are so happy that you are a part of our community. And we encourage you to please share the show with a friend. We love to spread the running love and get more people involved in running and our runners community. So if you could share this episode right now with a friend, that would be fantastic. Or if you haven't yet, please leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. So that's what we have for you guys today. For all of our show notes, please check out the website, realliferunnerspodcast.com forward slash episode 94. This has been the Real Life Runners Podcast. Thank you for listening. Now get out there and run your life.